0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to St. James. I'm glad to see you for uh, our midweek Lent service. If you guys could stand and join with me in the opening prayer. The Lord Almighty grant us a quiet night and peace at the last. Amen. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to herald your love in the morning, your truth at the close of the day. Remain standing for the hymn. Confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Holy and gracious God, I confess that I have sinned against you this day. Some of my sin I know, the thoughts and words and deeds of which I'm ashamed, but some is known only to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask forgiveness. Deliver and restore me that I may rest in peace. By the mercy of God, we are redeemed by Jesus Christ, and in him we are forgiven. We rest now in his peace and rise in the morning to serve him. Amen. You may be seated. Old Testament reading, uh, Genesis 17. Uh, Some of you will remember this from this past Sunday. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you, and and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Epistle reading from Romans 4. Paul says the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it's the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, was the father of us all as it's written i have made you abraham the father of many nations in the presence of the god in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist in hope abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told so shall your offspring be he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last week we looked at um, Abraham's love for his son, we looked at Abraham's love for uh, Isaac, and how that tended toward idolatry. Uh, You know, uh, God, you say that you're my shield and very great reward, but what I really want is a son. Can can we look at it again, sort of the same sort of thing, because that's what, of course, Genesis 17 is about, just the same as Genesis 15 last week was. But look at it from a different angle. Let's look at it this week from Abraham's identity. Now, idolatry is objective. Idolatry is about something outside of yourself that you can't live without. Your identity is subjective. It's it's more about you. Now, they're related. So for Abraham, his son is an idol because his identity, his primary identity, the way he defines himself primarily is father. And so you can see how those two things are related. He is most of all, father. That's what he wants to be. And so he makes an idol out of his son. But th- so this week, last week we looked at idolatry. This week, let's look at identity if we can. First of all, identity. What is your identity? This is this, so if you read b- books on psychology or books on uh, anthropology, you get, uh, it's very, very complex, but you can kind of boil it down to this. Your identity is who you are according to yourself. Your view of yourself, Now, this is kind of related to, I, I hate to keep on resetting uh, my past sermons. This is kind of related to the notion of the heroic ideal that we talked about on Sunday. This person that you have in your mind, that's you, but that always gets it right. So let me ask you, let me ask you who are you in your own mind? How, if I said to you, tell me about yourself, how would you identify yourself? That, that's your identity. The thing that would come out of your mouth to say, if you want to know who I am, You've got to know this thing. That's your identity. And it could be any number of things. We make our, our careers our identity. We frequently do this. You know, I'm a pastor. That's who I am. We make our relationships our identity. Let's talk about Abram. His identity is I want to be a father. I am a father. Sometimes it's a passion that you have. It could be, you know, I, I really, I, you just got to know I really love the outdoors. It could be something also along the lines of passion. It could be competition. I just, I'm super competitive. That's who I am. That's, life for me is games and competing. It could be any number of things. But the, the thing, it, the, the thing that, that it will have in common, it's different for all of us, our identities are, but the thing they'll have in common, it's the thing that you, can, that you are lost without. The thing that if it would go away, you would lose your identity. You find this in relationships. You find your identity in relationships. You think maybe in uh, sixth grade that you want to be the funny kid. And so you tell a joke, and nobody laughs. And some of you will remember this. You know at that moment, I'm not the funny kid. And so you stop doing that. There's a pain that results in trying to be something that you're not. Or you, you tell a joke, and everybody laughs, and you feed off of it. It turns you on. And so you tell more jokes. And if people laugh, soon your identity is, I'm the funny kid. That's who I am. But you're learning that from other people. You're getting cues. You always get cues. You always find out who you are in community from other people, for good and for bad. It's frequently parents that do this, because a lot of your identity comes from when you're young. It's frequently your parents who set expectations for you. By the way, it's unavoidable. I tell my uh, told my high school seniors last year that you know some of them would say things like, "I'm looking forward to going going away to college because like just the pressure like from my parents." like to get good grades or to like go to the right school or to choose the right major or to get a job. It's like, I just can't wait to get out from under it. And so I, was, I had the pleasure of telling them, oh, oh it, it's not going away. <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, right now it's get good grades or find a job. You know, soon it's going to be, did you choose the right major? Are you studying enough? Are you going to get married? When are you going to start having kids? Are you going to take that promotion or not? And it never goes away. And it's, it's unavoidable, right? Your pa- parents love their kids. And so it's hard for them just to dissociate and say, well, I'm just going to let them be who they are. If you love them, you won't. But of course, what goes along with that is pressures. This is the situation that Abram's in. He's been given an identity by his parents from way back. And the identity is the name Abram, which means in Hebrew, I have a lot of kids. That's what his name means. Father of many. His whole life, he's lived with this name. That's his identity. That's the label that's on him. And now you'll understand then his frustration. When God says, I'm going to be your shield and very great reward. Abram's frustration at like, I, I, my identity doesn't match up with my reality. Can you fix that? I want that gap closed. The sociologist Ernest Becker tells us that it's not just Abraham. Most of our life, Ernest Becker says he's a sociologist, an anthropologist who passed away back in the 70s. Most of our life is in large part a rationalization of our failure to find out who we really are, what our basic strength is, what thing it is that we were meant to work upon the world. You'll spend, what he's saying is you'll, you will spend a large chunk of your life with a gap between your identity and your reality. The person that you tell yourself you are and the reality that it looks like. And when this gap happens, you're going to experience existential crisis. You're going to feel lost. You're going to feel like, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what's going on. You're going to feel unsure of yourself. You're going to feel out of touch with reality. You are going to to experience an identity crisis when you experience that gap. And even when we momentarily meet up with our identities, there will be moments when you are who you think you are. You've been telling yourself since sixth grade that you're the funny kid. Every once in a while... You'll tell a joke and people will laugh. But it's always, it's never, it's never thorough. Your identity never completely matches up with your reality. And it's always temporary. Nobody ever laughs just the appropriate amount. And sometimes they laugh when you're not trying to be funny, like I said on Sunday. And sometimes they don't laugh at all. And what are you going to do then? Existential crisis, identity crisis. As a parent, if that's your identity. So, you know, so Abram, you know, he, he, he wants to be a parent here. It's easy to forget the chapter before he actually had a son. God, I want a kid. Well, he had a kid, Ishmael, but it wasn't good enough. Like Rachel, who I referred to, uh, you know, give me children or I die, she says to her husband. And then she has a son, finally, Joseph, and she names him, just give me one more. That's his name. I, I just need more kids, right? Because your, your reality will never, ever match up with the weight of your own identity, And parents like Rachel, like Abram, you'll never be a perfect parent. You long to be a parent, you identify as a parent, but in your heart of hearts, you know that you're not doing a good enough job. And of course, you know there comes the moment uh, when they leave home. And who you are as a parent radically changes. Why do people commit suicide so much when the stock market crashes? I'm talking about uh, day traders, investors. Why is that? Because their identity was high-powered moneymaker. And when that goes away, When the gap between their reality and their identity becomes so big, they lose themselves. Life is not even worth living. Why is a perceived snub so troubling to the person who's sensitive, who just wants people to like them, who just wants there to be peace? Because who they are, I'm the people that everybody gets along with, goes away when they sense that somebody doesn't like them. Why is a lack of confrontation so troubling to someone who likes their ideas taken seriously? In my house growing up, to say to my father when he was telling us what's what, to say to him, whatever, was a sure way to get in huge trouble. Why is he so sensitive about that? Because in that moment, he's determined to be the parent, to be the father. That's his identity. And when somebody, the child, is supposed to take that role seriously and refuses to do it, it reflects on his identity. And it's damaged. That's what Abram has. That's what all of us have. We have a gap between who we think we are and who we really are. Now, you would think that the solution would be this. If you come and you talk to me and you say, look, I just, I'm so like, I'm so caught up in my job. I, I, you know, I know I should step back and I know I should take more time off. I know I should be spending time with my family. I shouldn't be going in on the weekends. But honestly, if I stay home on Saturday, I just feel lost. I feel like there's something that needs to be done there. If you come and you talk to me, you might think that the correct biblical solution would be to say, well, you're taking it too seriously. You're taking your job, you're taking your identity too seriously. You need to back off. But you know what's interesting about this story is that God doesn't say to him, hey, look, I know you want to be a dad, but you're taking it way too seriously. You need to calm down. God doesn't do that. You know what he does? He actually ramps it up. He says, okay, so yeah, I I know that your name is Mr. I-have-a-lot-of-kids, and you're 100 years old and you have zero kids. Well, you know, except for Ishmael, right? But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change your name to Mr. I-have-a-lot-of-nations, coming out of me. That's what Abraham means. He ramps up his identity. God ramps up the stakes. Why is this? Because Abraham's problem is not that his desire to be a parent is too strong and he just needs to weaken it. His problem is that his desire for a child is too weak. That's what C.S. Lewis says in Weight of Glory, right? Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're too easily satisfied with being parents. We're making money or being funny, or being the good friend. When actually God wants to, wants to give us, he wants to make our identity something so much more magnificently spectacular that it would make all of our fake identities kind of fit into this one identity and start to make sense finally. To become a part of our life that doesn't dominate our life. To become a part of our life that when it ebbs and flows, when the kid says whatever to you, when the kid leaves home, when the kid doesn't show up because you're not having kids, You're able to cope with it and, in fact, find joy and strength in it because you have the real deal. You have the thing that your heart really wanted, the thing that the desire for a kid was merely an echo of, the desire for a relationship with the eternal God. And when Abraham gets that, when God changes his identity to Abraham, and listen, maybe you'll get a kid, maybe you won't get a kid, but you know what you got? You got me. Abraham goes from being a person who idolizes his son To a person, as we read last week in Genesis chapter 22, who says, I can give this kid up. This is an extreme example. Again, nobody's asking you to sacrifice your kid on an altar. But somebody who can say, if I lose my identity as a parent, it's okay because I have a greater identity. My identity is I belong to Jesus. Because see, that's what what Abraham needs. He doesn't just need a kid. Maybe he's going to get a kid. Maybe he's not going to get a kid. You guys know in the story he does get a kid, but that's not the point. What he needs is Jesus. Look at verse 5 of Genesis 17. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you. You know who that offspring is, right? Paul tells us in Galatians 3 that that offspring is Jesus. That's actually what Abraham gets. Now, in his case, in order for him to get there, he gets a kid. It might not be like that for you. Your identity might be, I'm a moneymaker. And God might say, you know what? You are going to be poor from here on out. But if you allow him to establish your new, fresh, more intense, more spectacular identity, you will get to the place where you could say, okay, I can live without money. Just like Abraham said, I can live without this kid. If God takes this kid away, he's going to give me something better back. I don't know what that is in your situation. For Abraham, it's an easy call because this story happened in the past and we know he has a kid. I don't know if you losing your friends means that if you just give it to God and, and, and rely on him to establish his identity for you in Jesus Christ, you're a son or daughter in Jesus Christ, that you're going to get better friends later. I don't know, maybe that's not the case. But whatever it is that he has for you, it's going to be more spectacular and better than what you plan for yourself. Which leads us to this last point. This identity leads to fruitfulness. God changes Abraham's name, and then he gives him the kid. It doesn't work the other way around. Your identity is not based upon what God is doing in your life. What God is doing in your life is based upon your identity. God says, you are my child, and everything's going to flow out of that. And whatever flows out of that is good because it comes out of your new, fresh identity. God changes your identity, and then he makes it real. God puts you in a position where you can give up all the things that you've counted on before. Not because he's necessarily going to take them away. Again, I don't know if he's going to do that or not. Because you don't need them in light of your relationship with him. And whatever he gives back to you will be something that you can rejoice and hand back to him because you have the real deal. How do you grasp this? How do you make this reality? Well, that's why we read the uh, epistle reading in Romans chapter four. Can you look at it with me again, starting in verse 16? I'm sorry, starting in Verse 19. Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. It's all about faith. We talk as Christians a lot about, you know, you got to have faith, salvation's by faith. What does that mean? What does that mean? Sometimes we're like confused about that. So I got to really believe. actually, you know what it means here in the story of Abraham? It just means this. Do you believe that your identity is what he says it is? Do you believe that you are first and foremost fundamentally a loved and completely accepted child of God for the sake of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? Or do you believe, nope, I'm a parent. If, if I lost that, I would be devastated. This happens. How many Christian homes have broken up because mom and dad created an identity of, there's other reasons for why Christian homes break up, but one of the reasons why is because mom and dad create an identity of we're the parents, and then when the kids move out, there's nothing left there. People do this. Faith says, though, If you have kids, if you have 100 kids, if you have zero kids, if you have $100, if you have $0, if you're the funniest person in the room, if everybody thinks you're totally lame, believe that you are completely accepted by God and Jesus Christ. And all that other stuff, all your other sub-identities, as important as they are, are secondary to this main identity. God loves you for the sake of his son, Jesus Christ. Stand with me and let's pray. Let me pray for us, and then um, let me pray for for us for a minute, and then I'll ask you to join with me in the prayers in your bulletin. God, as we come to you tonight, uh, we're so grateful that that what you've given us is yourself. That you've not uh, given us well, you have given us gifts, of course, but that's not the main thing that you give us. You have given us friends, and you've given us loved ones, and you've given all of us homes or apartments. You've given us uh, all food and all clothing. And for these gifts, we're grateful to you. But God, help us not to find our identity in those. Help us to find our identity in our relationship with you through your son. You've made us your children. You've given us yourself, and that is fundamentally who we are. Thank you for that rock that we can stand on, that unlike our other identities, never wavers, never goes away, never goes up and down, never fades in and out but is real and strong and eternally permanent. And God, I pray tonight that you would be with people who are struggling, people who are struggling with physical issues and um, people who are mourning. I want to pray especially tonight for Mike Kluck, who had uh, basically an emergency surgery yesterday and is in ICU right now. I pray that you would pour strength and healing into his body that you By your power, by the healing power of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray this uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name that you would push back the cancer in his body, that you would heal him. We also pray tonight for the family of Terry George, uh, Marla Wolf's brother who passed away today. Uh, Bring comfort to Marla and to that whole family, and especially Marla and her mom. Give them hope in the healing of your resurrection, uh, the vision of the future when you and your son, Jesus Christ, will make all things new. We're trusting you for this. We're trusting you to answer these prayers according to your will and in your timing. And so we turn them over to you. In faith, we turn them over to the God, to you, the God who's sovereign over all things and who loves us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Join with me in these prayers. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. In righteousness I shall see you. When I awake, Your presence will give me joy. Be present, merciful God, and protect us through the hours of this night so that we who are wearied by the changes and chances of life may find our rest in You. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now taught by our Lord and trusting His promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless you and keep you. Amen.